Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 13th, 2016, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Mercury is retrograde until September 22nd, and if you're not familiar with that, you can learn more about that either on our site or you can do a regular Internet search because there's uh, some important things you ought to know about Mercury retrograde. Our guest this evening is Evelyn Reisdyke, author of several noted books on shamanism, including The Norse Shaman, Spirit Walking, A Course in Shamanic Power, and A Spirit Walker's Guide to Shamanic Tools. Along with her writings, Evelyn is an impassioned shamanic teacher. She'll be talking about her new book, The Norse Shaman, that explores the roots of our earliest human connections to spirit and how they relate to the present, about the central role of women in shamanism, how tumultuous changes in the past are preserved in the mythic stories of the Old Norse, and the way the patriarchal culture has impacted the self-image of all genders and damaged the relationships we humans have with each other and with nature. Evelyn will also offer her perspectives about how we can choose to heal these broken threads. And her website is evelynrisedyke.com. So let me spell that for you. Evelyn is E-V-E-L-Y-N, and Risedyke is R-Y-S-D-Y-K.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. We'd like to thank Vanya for hosting the switchboard this evening for any listeners that have a question or comment for our guest. If you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with the forum. You can download any show in our archives on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow on it. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will help. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power, You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And then if you want a stage two interpretation of that chart, please order it at least two or three months ahead of your birthday to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her ever popular Starseed News. (laughs) Hi. Hi, good evening, Ariel. Hi, everybody. Great to be back together, and uh, nice to start with a laugh. Thanks for that, Ariel. You have a wonderful laugh. Well, the sun is quiet. There's nothing to report up there today, but down here on Earth, my goodness, a lot going on. 
sometimes I think we are at war with energy and uh, people are having war words and uh, the, the nature is in upheaval. So in all of that going on, it's getting harder and harder to find news reports as uh, the media tends now to focus a lot on terrorism and overseas activities. Very difficult to find out a lot of what's going on. Never expected this to be such a challenge, but every month uh, getting data to report to you, news of interest is getting more difficult. If we don't wish to talk about international politics or terrorism, it gets very difficult to present stories. Having said that, you will notice that uh, there may be a trend in the types of stories that I cover being different simply because uh, the news that's available is shifting. So here we go. Let's start out with our story tonight on a volcanic eruption on the French island of Reunion. Now, that is my English pronunciation. I'm sure they say it much better than that. Probably Reunion. I have no idea. (laughs) But it is called the Peak of the Furnace Volcano, and it's one of the world's most active volcanoes. It erupted Sunday on the French island of Reunion, and this is the second time the volcano has erupted this year. Now, it is classified as a shield volcano because of its low profile and multiple lava flows that it has when it erupts. I'd never really heard the term shield volcano before. But anyway, no one was injured in that eruption. And the Kilauea volcano, Lava Lake, has been fluctuating amidst increased seismic activity. Now, you all know this is in Hawaii. But yesterday, the summit Lava Lake rose to its highest level since May of 2015. And earthquakes were also on rise in the vicinity. They say at one point, the lava lake was within 16 feet of the rim. And the uh, the sloshing lava was clearly visible from Jagger Museum within the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. Wow, sloshing lava. That must be quite a sight. Wow. Yeah, and in Oakland, residents were jolted awake early in the morning by a 3.5 magnitude quake that shook Oakland this morning. Uh, There was no damage reported, according to authorities, and according to the USGS, the quake was centered in Piedmont. It was felt in Oakland, Alameda, Berkeley, and San Leandro. In Champaign County, Illinois, they had four tornadoes touchdown, four confirmed tornadoes touchdown in central Illinois Friday night. It swept through Champaign County, damaging buildings. The most powerful of the tornadoes was rated as an EF2 by the National Weather Service. But even at that, the EF2 reached a peak wind of 125 miles per hour, leaving a 4.7-mile path of damage, 4.7-mile-wide path of damage. Wow. A little late in the year, but there it is. And uh, Super Typhoon Moranti, maybe you've heard about that, has been threatening Taiwan and mainland China, is now a top-scale Category 5 hurricane. They say it will make landfall among the northern tip of the island of Taiwan, which is home to more than 23 million people tomorrow morning local time. In Oklahoma, guess what? We talked about the earthquake there last week. Well, the EPA has shut down 32 fracking wastewater disposal wells in that new earthquake-prone area. 
uh, they've discovered a new fault in Oklahoma. And after that 5.8 magnitude quake in a series of smaller aftershocks in that state led to the discovery of a new fault line. It caused alarm among scientists about the oil and gas wastewater that's being injected deep underground. So state and federal regulators said yesterday that 32 disposal wells in north northeastern Oklahoma must be shut down because they are too close to the new, newly discovered fault line that produced the state's strongest earthquake on September 3rd. Now, the head of the Oklahoma Geological Survey said it's possible that a large pulse of disposed wastewater was the cause that triggered the trembler along this newly discovered fault, which is located near the town of Pawnee. So there's somebody doing something about something. Anyway, well, you probably all heard about the fraud with Wells Fargo Bank. Well, I've got just a little bit more to tell you, but for those of you who haven't been listening, you should know that last week it emerged that Wells Fargo Bank had engaged in pervasive and massive fraud since at least 2011 because it opened credit cards secretly without customers' consent. It created fake email accounts to sign up customers for online banking services and forced customers to accumulate late fees on accounts they never even knew they had. Wells Fargo was fined $185 million, but only after they opened 1.5 million bank accounts and applied for a half a million credit cards that were not authorized by their customers. These employees went into bank accounts, moved money from existing bank accounts to open new bank accounts, and then later would sneak the amounts back into the original accounts, hoping to go undiscovered. But in fact, many people were overdrawn. Many people had up to seven credit cards they didn't know they had, which some credit cards have activation fees, uh, which they didn't pay because they didn't know they had these cards, thereby their credit ratings were wrecked. It was a mess. Well... What Fargo's, what Wells Fargo has not or did not disclose publicly at that time is that uh, the Wells Fargo executive who was in charge of the employees that opened more than 2 million, now it's 2 million, they went from 1.5 to 2 million, 2 million unauthorized customer accounts. Uh, by the way, that was an accepted practice that the employees called sandbagging. Anyway, is leaving this company, America's largest bank, with an enormous severance pay, some $124.6 million. And shockingly, without one bit of remorse over their criminal activity, Wells Fargo stated that this particular executive that's leaving with over $124 million had been one of the bank's most important leaders and a standard bearer of our culture and a champion for our customers. In the meantime, Wells Fargo will supposedly pay full restitution to all victims who uh, suffered overdraft fees and injured credit ratings, the estimates of that being approximately $25 per customer. Now, the bank agreed to pay $185 million in fines, but those fines go to the enforcement agencies and some to the state of California. Altogether, the total to customers out of the $185 million about $5 million, with averaging $25 per customer. Well, 
in uh, today in Atlanta, protesters shouted support for the Native American activists trying to stop construction of a North Dakota pipeline, they say, will de- desecrate sacred land and pollute water. Now, the protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline have drawn international attention, even as this company is building, uh, that's building the line is saying that it's committed to the project and will stand firm in its intentions to complete the project. Protests were scheduled today in Atlanta, in Washington, D.C., in Los Angeles, and uh, numerous other cities around the country. Now, last week, the Obama administration responded to the issues raised by the Standing Rock Sioux, whose land runs about half a mile south of the pipeline's route, and said it would, uh, said it would tempor- temporarily halt construction on federal land. So the Obama administration stepped in to stop this construction. Now, they acted moments after a federal judge denied the tribe's request for a halt to construction. So this has been going back and forth. Now, demonstrators in more than 30 U.S. states plan to gather today for a national day of action against the pipeline. And outside of our country, activists said that they planned protests in countries including Britain, Spain, South Korea, and New Zealand. And in North Dakota, protesters have vowed to remain until the project is halted. Now, that is some people power going on there. Yeah. Well, some good news. Uh, The giant pandas have been removed from the endangered species list. Now, this is according to the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Now, they reported that the giant panda population has improved enough for its status to be downgraded from endangered to vulnerable. And uh, the global giant panda population has been on the rise in recent years, with a total estimated population today of 2,060 pandas, which is up from about 1,500 in 2004. So that's only about 500 pandas in all those years. Uh, That's not very many. But anyway, they are uh, upgrading them to vulnerable instead of endangered. And in Israel... Listen to this, you guys. Researchers have discovered an ancient flower that naturally treats diabetes, but Big Pharma is immediately beginning to develop its synthetic version. So that's the story. Israeli researchers have discovered an amazing plant which is native to their region. There are pictures on the Internet. It's an odd-looking thing. Uh, But anyway, it helps treat type 2 diabetes naturally without the need for drugs or injections. How wonderful is that? Uh, But rather than uh, promote the actual plant as therapeutic option for patients, this researcher team, it's working with drug companies to isolate the plant's, quote, active ingredient, end quote, so that that it can be synthesized and turned into a patented corporate-owned pharmaceutical drug. Now, that's sad. The plant uh, is known as sharp varthemia. Y'all can look that up. V-A-R-T-H-E-M-I-A, sharp varthemia. And uh, they say that extracts from this shrub shrub have been shown to exhibit anti-diabetic activity because it improves sugar absorption into muscle and fat cells, and it also reduces blood sugar levels. So perhaps in a in an herbal extract that may be very helpful to those of you out there who have some sugar issues. I suggest you check that out. Well, Sunday, August 28th, this has been a little bit uh, about three, two weeks ago, 
in Dorchester County, South Carolina. Uh, they conducted a secret aerial spraying of NALED, a pesticide, uh, that the Environmental Protection Agency has been claiming is safe for the environment. Uh, they did this in order to, uh, well, out of the, the Zika hysteria. They wanted to spray for mosquitoes. Well, as it turns out, and as a result of this aerial spraying now, many millions of bees are reported suddenly dead, and county authorities are struggling to admit that it's due to the pesticide spray. But according to the Washington Post, stressed insects uh, tried to flee their nests but died at the hive entrances. The dead worker bees suggested that colony collapse disorder was not the culprit. Instead, the pattern of death matched acute pesticide poisoning. By one estimate, at a single apiary, which had 46 hives that died on the spot and totaled some 2.5 million bees, they are saying that it was pure sadness. Oh. Now, doesn't it just make sense, folks, if you're going to aerial spray for mosquitoes, and apparently, according to this article, uh, it was not announced ahead of time. The population didn't know about it. Not that it would have made money, many difference for the bees, but what about people? Something that kills mosquitoes coming from the air is sure to kill bees, butterflies, anything. Ants, goodness knows what. And, you know, it's going to hurt people, too. I think that's only logical. But they're doing an awful lot of that now because of the Zika hysteria. Very disturbing. And you all know how much I love bees, and I told you in our previous newscast that I had difficulty pollinating my tomato plants this year because there were no bees in my garden. I told you that I used Q-tips to, to pollinate my tomatoes and had, had a crop, certainly, but not, not a normal-sized one. And then in the last week, I have a particular plant out by my bird fountain. It has little pink flowers on it. I was overjoyed to see five to six bees uh, drinking at the water fountain and uh, taking nectar from these little tiny pink flowers. So all, in all of this summer, all of this year, I have counted joyfully five little bees visiting my garden, and I regarded them with tremendous reverence. I was very happy to see them. So anyway, if you see a bee, give it your blessing. Well, this is interesting, guys. Germany has told its people to stockpile food and water in case of attacks. And that's right. This comes from Reuters, by the way. For the first time since the end of the Cold War, the German government plans to tell its citizens to stockpile food and water in case of an attack or catastrophe, according to a Frankfurt newspaper. Now, Germany is currently on high alert after two Islamic attacks and a shooting rampage by a mentally unstable teenager last month. <clears throat> We're certainly living in times of mass hysteria, folks. But anyway, Berlin announced measures this month to, uh, so that uh, they could spend uh, considerably more on its uh, police and security forces and to carry out uh, 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 what assaults against crime and uh, terrorism. Defenses, not assault against crime and terrorism. So they're beefing up their police force. But in the meantime, they're telling us that the population will be obliged to hold an individual supply of food for 10 days. They say that people will be required to stockpile enough drinking water to last for five days as well. 
Now, the precautionary measures are demanding that people prepare appropriately for a development that could threaten our existence and cannot be categorically ruled out in the future. Now, Germany is not the only nation reported as doing this. Now, this is the government telling the people what to do, but not just Germany. Russia and Bulgaria are also implementing the same for their citizens. What strange times. And this is a refreshing story, everybody. A renowned Harvard psychologist calls ADHD a fraud that only benefits the pharmaceutical industry. Now, what do you know about that? One of the most influential psychologists of the 20th century, his name's Jerome Kagan. He's been ranked above Carl Jung, which is the founder of analytical psychology, and Ivan Pavlov, who discovered the Pavlovian reflex. He was ranked above those two men in a 2002 American Psychological Association ranking of the eminent psychologists. Now, this doctor is well known for his pioneering work in the developmental psychology at Harvard University, where he is considered to be a highly regarded researcher. So it's been surprising to a lot of people uh, to learn that he believes the diagnosis of ADHD, attention uh, deficit hyperactive disorder, is a psychiatric invention that only benefits the pharmaceutical industry and psychiatrists. He said there is a problem with mislabeling mental illness in his profession, saying, quote, that is the history of humanity. Those in authority believe they're doing the right thing, and they harm those who have no power. Well, what do you know? There is somebody mm-hmm. speaking truth in a whole ocean of deceptions. So bravo to him. And turmeric. Uh, there is new evidence out Uh, that turmeric will prevent fluoride from harming your brain. Now, it's now well known that fluoride has IQ-lowering properties and it causes the calcification of the pineal gland, which, as you all know, is the traditional seat of the soul. And many people around the world are starting to organize at the local and statewide level to get rid of this toxin from municipal drinking water. Well, now, a new study published by a pharmacy magazine is titled curcumin attenuates neurotoxicity induced by fluoride. And this study adds support to many people's conviction that fluoride is indeed a brain-damaging substance. And this report reveals that the spiced turmeric minimizes and even prevents fluoride damage to the brain. Isn't that excellent? Wonderful. So turmeric is just an amazing spice. And it's really being discovered rather quickly. I think that's a wonderful thing, but uh, the price has really gone up in the last 10 years. used to be really inexpensive, and, you know, supply and demand. That might be a really nice spice, everybody, to have in your cabinet and to stockpile and to take. Very, very good for you for lots and lots of things. Research turmeric if you haven't done it. Many of you probably already have here. I'm preaching to the choir. But anyway, that's more scientific evidence that it really does work. And our quote for this week comes from Albert Camus, the French philosopher. He said, The only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. So there we have it. This is going to be a wonderful (laughs) show. Yeah, let's give them a little rebellion. You know, actually, being yourself following the path of your soul, 
joining your energy with the planet, with all the beings on the planet, which is what our guest is going to talk about tonight in shamanism. This is the ultimate act of rebellion, being your true self in a world that is defying that. So press on and uh, be the rebel. Be free and uh, be yourself. Let your light shine. We need it now more than ever. This is a very important time to be here. So from my heart to yours, all of you, please have a blessed, beautiful, light-filled week. And I'm going to listen to this show. Uh, As soon as I get done with my evening, I have to have an appointment, but I'm going to listen to the recording. It's going to be an outstanding program, Ariel. I agree. So thank you very much for the Starseed News. It's good for us to know what's going on and what areas of the world need some um, light and healing. So send you know good thoughts to those areas. So thank you, Anastasia. So <clears throat> excuse me. Right now we are going to um, get the mics open here for our guest Evelyn and Lavendar. Give me a second. Okay. You are on. Evelyn, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. And Lavendar, take it away. Okay. Well, Evelyn, uh, your book came about two weeks ago, and we had someone that didn't um, show up for the show tonight, so I hurriedly found you, and, and I was so glad that you accepted our invitation to come on a dime. So thank you for being so prompt and in alignment with with what we're doing with our show. So welcome, Evelyn. Well, thank you very much. And and it was clearly meant to be because I went in and checked the email after hours that I normally don't do, and I had something available that I could send you right away. So clearly it was meant to be. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. So I've only read probably 30 pages out of this book, but I'm, I'm enchanted. I'm enchanted by the way that you write. And I would love to know more about your personal history that that brought you to the place where you're writing uh, about shamanism. Would you tell us a little bit about your background, your parents, your grandparents, your your lineage, your ancestry, anything at all? Well, uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to do that because it's a uh, it's an interesting turn of events for me, at least. I'm a working class kid from suburban uh, New York, just beyond Queens and uh, into Nassau County, and uh, my dad was a mechanic, and my mom was an office worker, and uh, most of my early life, I was actually an artist. I was in advertising as an adult and did illustration and design and what have you, and pretty much anything that I could lay my hands on, I would make something or paint. Or, In fact, at one point in the 70s, I was... Uh, painting murals on cars, uh, so I've I've done all kinds of visual art. And um, did you do the front of your it. book? Uh, yeah, I, I did all the illustrations in the book as well. Oh, that, I love it. Go that's ahead. kind of the way I get to do do my artwork now. But uh, at one point, I came to shamanism through artwork originally. As uh, you know, it, it's very um, compatible to me to spend time uh, in the spirit world because it's like you can actually go and have the same kind of experience you're having when you're deeply creative, when you really ta- you're outside of ordinary time space, the, the insight is coming, the images are coming in, in the case of a visual artist, 
but you can go there at will instead of waiting for the muse to strike. <laughs> so I love that idea. And uh, th- through discovering shamanism and moving through some uh, uh, personal healing that I had a, an acute depression at one point that brought me to journeying in an official way, and just the act of journeying opened me back up again in a way that psychotherapy and medication to help me sleep did not. So I am very grateful to the relationship I have had with the spirits through my artwork and then through a more direct way in journeying. And uh, I am somebody that has had some physical issues in my life. uh, And at one point, I had had surgery and I could not climb the stairs to go to my studio. And uh, that left me with my computer downstairs and uh, enough energy to sort of sit and tinker around. And I thought it would be time to just write down some ideas I had for making workshops and what have you. And after a while, I had a manuscript. And um, not having uh, written before, I thought, well, um, I don't know if this is any good. I don't know if anybody even cared to read it. So in a fine Torian practical style, I made ten copies of this manuscript and gave it to ten people that I trusted with completely different disciplines. So we had a scientist and somebody who was an excellent grammarian, having gone all the way through Catholic school, through high school, and uh, teachers and all different people that I that I knew and I trusted. And I had them read it, and I said, mark it up willy-nilly. I want to know if there's anything of value here. And when I received their copies back, I got the input that it was actually useful. So my first book came out in 1999, and um, I found myself suddenly uh, a writer. (laughs) So no one is more surprised than me sometimes that I'm a writer. Because in advertising, the, the visual artist, and the writers are sort of on two sides of the camp in the creative department, and normally the twain never meet. <laughs> yeah, so, but for you, but see, you're, you were tapping into your natural state and your rites of passage. That alignment just came, boom! It, it just yeah, hit you, and totally. you had to do it. Totally, and it's and it's uh, a delight. It really is a delight to to be able to share with a wide audience what's going on in my brain and in my heart and uh, and, and helping people to make uh, mend the, the connections with themselves and with other beings and also with the invisible world because it's been such a benefit to me. I'm kind of like a person who wants to help people to find their own way to that same kind of feeling inside because I... At at now I am 61 years old and I'm happier than I have ever been in my entire life. So I I wish only the same for everyone else. <laughs> right. Well, you're in your natural state. Your rites of passage have been opened up to you, and and that brings joy into your life. I wanted to ask you, um, your book goes a lot back further than than the Vikings. Why did you choose to do that? To go back further than the Vikings. I think because I'm curious by nature and having been raised by Northern European uh, family, I have uh, one half of my family is are Norwegian immigrants and the other half is 
um, people with uh, recent immigrant past from Germany, Scotland, and then some um, uh, English and Dutch people that have been on the East Coast for centuries. And um, I was raised with a lot of elders, both grandparents, a great-grandmother, and the siblings of both my great-grandmother and my grandparents. So there were lots of uh, elders around me, and they were all storytellers. So I was immersed in um, the sort of atmosphere of the old countries. And it was interesting to kind of grow up with with the pride that comes with people sharing special foods and their stories from the homeland, and also being really horrified when I became more aware as a kid and saw how much damage people that looked like me created in the world. And it was something that I found very difficult to reconcile. What do you mean by that? Well, being a Caucasian person from Northern Europe, if you think about um, all of the colonization and subjugation of both indigenous people and of lands has been directed uh, by people from that ancestry. You know, you think about at one point in time the sun never set on the British Empire, for instance. That's a Northern European uh, uh, example of Northern European uh, subjugation of other places and other people. And, it, you know, we, people from Northern Europe basically caused two world wars. And, you know, there, so there's this interesting dichotomy of marvelous art and amazing musical compositions and beautiful writing and really barbaric behavior. And I was left with this, how in the hell did we get there? Yeah. You know, at one, at one point, every human being, and we go back far enough, we're all related, we all have the same mitochondrial uh, Eve at our root, the same woman living about 180,000 years ago is, our, is all human beings' ancestor. We all carry uh, in our mitochondria DNA that is descended from her. She wasn't the only woman alive then, but it is only her line that continued, and she now has over 7 billion you know, descendants here on the planet, all different colors, sizes, and shapes, but they all came from that, that woman in Africa. So I think, you know, at one point, even Europeans were indigenous people. They lived close to the land. They lived as hunter-gatherers. So at what point did the train run off the rails? And that sent me down the rabbit hole of trying to understand what happened. And I looked at Paleolithic uh, information that's coming through with uh, archaeological digs and people trying to piece together some senses of culture and starting to see uh, a veneration of the female that is present perhaps as far back as 100,000 years ago, but at least definitively into the 50 to 40,000 years ago range, where we're making images of um, female bodies, particularly of um, what look like corpulent, corpulent elders, you know, little fat grandmas, 
And um, and the pretty recent research is that the handprints in a lot of caves in Europe are female hands based on the measurements of the prints left behind. And so I'm following that trail and, and moving forward. And then in another body of research, I'm, a, I'm my mother's daughter in that way. I have a curious mind. Um, I find all this material on uh, shaman graves. And the earliest shaman grave that was found uh, intact was in um, what is now the Czech Republic. And it's... Uh, 28,000 years ago, and it happened to be a woman of late middle age. And I go into great length about the details of that in the book. And then we find the kind of next oldest one, which is 12,000 years ago in what is now the area of Israel. And I think of Europe not being separate. um, Certainly geologically from the rest of Asia. You know, it's all Eurasia. So that is all part of the pathways that we have traveled. And then there's a, a recent, more recent still, around 9,000 years ago, they found a shaman's grave in Germany, also female. And she was actually dressed in her shamanic costume with, uh, you know, a, a, a tunic and a, um, a fringe mask that you see in Siberian tribes made of uh, incisors from from uh, either buffaloes or horses, and uh, have antlers on top of her head. And then I fast forward even uh, further, and this is all the way in the Russian uh, far east in the Arctic. There is a shaman buried uh, that's about two thousand years years old, and her grave is similar to these earlier graves, and um there there seems to be this sense that females play an, a, a very important role in the spiritual traditions of prehistory particularly in the uh stone age so th- this is going around in my head too and um so now i start to look at so what is is shifting people cuz seems seems like the shift is happening for some reason. So I start to do climatological research. And I find out that a tremendous upheaval that certainly has parallels to what we might be going through in our own future, it's already begun, let's face it, uh, that around 8,200 years ago, which is a drop in the bucket as far as how long ago in the geologic time, uh, the glaciers are receding. They did a lot of back and forth from 12,000 years ago to about 8,200 years ago. They they advanced and receded and advanced and receded. And so they're continuing to recede. recede. And at 8,200 years ago, two enormous glacial meltwater lakes, one in North America and one in Asia, that had been kind of dammed up by the the soil and rock and what have you that the glacier had pushed forward, as the glacier receded, that area filled in with water and finally was so full that it broke free. And within a few, you know, maybe a decade between one and the other, both of them let go and flooded the world with fresh water. So much so that 
the incredibly fertile land that uh, was in Europe, it, it, it's interesting to note that Europe did not let go in the north of hunter, hunting and gathering until 7,000 years ago, long after farming and herding happened in southern Europe and in the rest of Asia, because it was the most fertile place to live. You had access to all different kinds of game on the land, fish, sea animals. Um, you had the ability also to migrate from Scotland all the way down the coast and across land that is no longer visible. It's underwater. You could then go all the way up into Scandinavia. So these people could migrate, follow game, and live a, a marvelous hunter-gatherer existence. So at this great flood 8,200 years ago, it drowns part of the coast off of the northern part of Europe. It drowns the place called Doggerland. That's what they, the people call that area. It would be north of the coast of uh, Germany and Holland and Denmark, and it connected the British Isles to the mainland and also to the uh, bottom of Scandinavia. That went under the waves. And then around the same time, it's like you don't have enough calamity, you have one more, and it's a huge underwater landslide off the coast of Norway that creates a tsunami that polishes off the rest of that land and also cuts the English Channel. So you think about the tremendous change that those people went through that formerly migrated. Perhaps people were in one place and the rest of their clan was somewhere else when these calamities happened. And the, when something of that magnitude happens, who dies typically? If you see the floods down in Louisiana, it is old people and it is children. Now, the loss of children is bad enough, but when you lose elders in an uh, oral culture, you lose your wisdom. So this must have been a tremendously calamitous event for those people. Now, because climate change doesn't just happen in one area of the planet, it happens everywhere, we move a little to the east, and you have pastoralists and agriculturalists who live in Western Asia who are looking for, they're experiencing a drought, and they're looking for greener pastures, basically, and they wander in to Europe. So Europe, the original people there, our original ancestors, because I think of all human beings as our ancestors, the original European ancestors had a more a matrilineal society based on the artifacts that they found, they lived as hunter-gatherers, and by the very nature of being a hunter-gatherer, you are intimately connected to the land, to the weather, and to all to your own community. You have to work together if you're in a hunter-gatherer society for the group to live. So this is a very different mindset, and more like we would think of a shamanic society or an indigenous culture. The pastoralists and farmers that are coming in from the east are hierarchical in the nature of their culture. These are the proto-Indo-Europeans. So they are the ones that 
are the precursor of um, the Greeks and the Hindus and people with a polytheistic hierarchical kind of tradition. They come and collide in Europe. And these two groups of people have two completely different worldviews. And they are both displaced and they have to resolve some kind of way of being. And what I realized is that is definitely reflected in the myths and traditions of the Norse. So I use the Norse traditions that that persisted into the Viking Age uh, where they also had female practitioners of shamanism. They called it Sather. I used that Norse material to help us look at just how traumatic that collision of cultures actually was. Because in Norse traditions, those of you who know the uh, the Norse myth structures, there are two families of gods, two families of deities. There are the ones that live in the sky, Asgard, you think of Odin, um, and the the pastoralists that came from Asia believed in a sky father. So you have this idea of Asgard where Odin is king of all that he surveys. And there's also another family of gods and goddesses, the Vanir, and they live somewhere in the west of Middle World, the, the west of Midgard is where Vanaheim is. And it is the fertile west where these people came to find. So they they traveled westward into Europe. So you've got this idea that there are two kinds of power, and they're in a very uneasy um, relationship in the Norse myths. They are always fighting with one another. So you can see that we in our oldest um, oldest kind of social structures, had these, first of all, calamitous experiences that changed our relationship to the natural world. If you think of people who were depending on a kind of life way that was rich and allowed their families to live, um, they understood how it would work, their elders helped them to know as the climate was shifting a little bit, as those glaciers moved back and forth, like, oh, it's okay, this will change, we move northward now, we move southward, they would understand all those things, and then suddenly, that's all taken out from under them. The same thing is true for the people traveling in from Asia. They were used to having a sea of grassland. And suddenly, the grass is not growing as well. The life that they had depended on was suddenly not there. And in both cases, it's a kind of betrayal by those things that are far bigger than us. It's a betrayal by the land. It's a betrayal by the weather. It's this um, tremendous uh, breakdown of reality that I think created a kind of um, a deep wound in, in people of European ancestry. 
a tremendous wound that, first of all, you imagine that your land is gone. You're going to want to make sure that you have land. And you're going to make sure that you have a your place, that your place is so important. And when I say place, it's like social place as well as physical place. And I see those traumas in the past as part of what has become this wound that has carried forward. You know, it's like uh, family systems therapy. You look for the place that where it went wrong in the past. And parallel to that, you have this other thread, which is somehow our oldest way of knowing our connectedness was this way that we related to world uh, to the world as shamans do. We are connected to everything. The earth is a nurturer. There was a clear connection between the feminine and the earth herself. They did rituals down in the earth and painted their dead with red ochre. It looks like blood. They buried their dead in the earth, covered in red ochre. So you're returning people into the womb of the earth. Did you say red ochre? Uh, not okra like the the uh, vegetable, but ochre, which is like a a, a paint. Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's a pigment. Oh, uh, it's probably my old New York accent coming through. Sorry about that. So there's this deep connection to the earth that we had as hunter gatherers that suddenly, because of climate, was disrupted, and because the hierarchical kind of culture that came that worked for the people that were pastless came and collided with that culture that was already present in Europe you have this split between two kinds of power feminine power and masculine power that also continues in our culture boy you can see that kind of division certainly in high relief in our presidential race right now <laughs> the way two di- two different candidates are being treated by the media is certainly um, patently obvious. And so, again, going back to the, the, the Norse, which is our most recent European thread of shamanism, I went back to try to guide readers to f- going back into their ancestry, this all f- experiential exercises through the book, to recover through those traditions, a way to remember the fabric that had been torn asunder. Remember how to be in connection with themselves, with other beings, with the earth, and also to bring back a sense of female power. Because I think a patriarchy really dispirits both uh, genders, if we think in a binary way, but I think all genders, because there's a sense that the male model of the patriarchy also diminishes men because it forces them into a box of uh, having to look a certain way or feel a certain way or behave a certain way in the same way that it does to women and people that fall between the binary. So by lifting up the feminine to help balance that kind of overblown masculine that is the patriarchy. Uh, There's a a line in my book where, and I can't even tell you who the quote is from, but the uh, 
the the person that I quoted said that uh, patriarchy is really an immature form of masculinity, which I love. <laughs> I love that that patriarchy is an immature version of masculinity, and so by bringing the feminine forth again as a as a power as a pathway to reconnect to our way of knowing the earth and ourselves and to be able to communicate again we have an opportunity to balance again not to surplant the male but to learn to work together in a new way by being conscious of the wounds that we have all experienced and stepping into the power that we all have the capacity to feel. Evelyn, I wanted to to ask you if you would comment on what you wrote about fire, the women of fire, the women of power, and and how fire, looking at a fire, can rekindle memory. Would you talk a little bit about that? I sure can. For a lot of people today, they... um, those that are experienced with shamanic journeying or even have a, an inkling about it, you tend to see people with drums or rattles. And that is uh, typically because drumming or any repetitive stimulus can help to shift your brain to high alpha and theta wave states. It puts you into that visionary uh, state. And it's uh, typically you know, four, about four beats a, uh, a second. Well, surprisingly enough, fire flickers at the exact same rate. And anybody who's stared into a fireplace or a campfire can tell you if you sit there long enough, you go somewhere. You you have these epiphanies, you are you are kind of lost in a special place, a special world. And that is because fire is actually getting your brain waves to entrain to the pulses of the flicker. And if you think for far more of our evolution, we have sat around fires. And back in the, if you let yourself imagine what it must have been like in the uh, Stone Age period in Europe when it is incredibly dark at night, and you have trees as enormous as the ones that you see in the Pacific Northwest and you have lush foliage and great big animals and sounds at night, you know, and and you have this circle of firelight that you're sitting around. And beyond that circle of firelight is a darkness like you can't imagine. And while you're in that circle of firelight, the flickering of that fire is giving giving you images. You can imagine you're in this heightened state already, maybe tired from doing the work of being a hunter-gatherer, and you're a little nervous because there's all kinds of animals just outside that firelight. You're in this, like, safe circle, and these flickering lights are giving you visions, and it, even that the physical idea of there being two worlds is so obvious when you're sitting in, in that firelight because there is the lighted, lighted space and then there is the invisible world beyond. And you can so imagine that they would be able to perceive the visible and invisible worlds in a completely different way, sitting in front of that fire every night, and then falling asleep by that fire. So you go from that dreaming and visionary state into sleep, and then you dream. And uh, 
many tribal people share their dreams in the morning, and you can imagine those that were very adept at taking the information that they received in those visions and actually remembering it and deciphering it so that it was usable information, I think they became the shamans. Just like the person who was really good at napping flint became the one who was in charge of making arrowheads and somebody who was good at making cordage, well, they got the job of making snares and nets. And the idea that we are still wired that way, that's why shamanic drumming works for us. If we sit in front of a fire, we can have that same kind of experience. Go to a dark place or shut off all the lights and work with your fireplace. And in that fire flickering, we can ask to go on a journey to meet one of our most ancient ancestors because we have so much more in common with all those ancestors. We're wired the same way. You know, we think of ourselves as somehow modern, you know. But uh, we, we are homo sapiens, but not all homo sapiens. We are part Neanderthal. We are part Denisovan. Some people in Far Asia are part uh, homo erectus. And there's a, a fourth archaic human species that, has been uh, interbred with with modern humans. So we're all hybrids. We're all hybrids of modern and more archaic species of human beings. And they're because they made fertile offspring, they're not really separate species. So we're all so interconnected, and we all are wired the same for these kind of experiences. So when we put ourselves in those same circumstances, we can replicate the experiences that our ancestors had and gain a connection with the ancestors which is incredibly important for us as european americans westerners we have not uh, honored ancestors in the same way that tribal people do tribal people all around the world if they're living in an intact culture or as close to an intact culture as they can they venerate their ancestors. They include their ancestors in ceremony. They include their ancestors in special times when they are fed feasts. They may have uh, special altars or statues that that are uh, their ancestors to keep them close by. And a study done a few years ago by the European Psychological Association uh, proves that that's a really good idea because they, in scientific style, studied groups of people and uh, did it in scientific method where you had a control group. And then they would test both the control and the group that they were working with with problem-solving and intelligence tests. So what they gave um, the group that they were experimenting with, different variations of thinking about their ancestors, whether they knew them or not, whether they liked them or not, and even if they were so far back, they only had to imagine them, so from 500 years ago. And it was clear that people who recalled their ancestors, again, whether they liked them or not, or whether they knew them or not, did markedly better on problem-solving and intelligence tests than either the control group or groups that were told to remember people that loved them that they were not related to. 
So Let me ask some... you, did you ever have the occasion to look at the prospect of uh, extraterrestrials or higher beings coming and bringing a bloodline to the planet? I have, I have not personally, but I completely don't rule out anything <laughs> because we are just starting to understand genetics, even yeah. though I'm sure scientists think, Gosh, they've got it knackered now. You know, we've decoded the genome and we've got our shit together, which I probably shouldn't say on the radio. Um, but what they're discovering is they're finding all of these archaic species in our DNA, and why not starseed DNA? Certainly, all the molecules that make up our DNA have come from beyond our planet. Our planet was the life that we all descended from, that all life descended from, those molecules and uh, amino acids came from outside of our planet. So even if the consciousness was in smaller kinds of life, we have a connection to the cosmos because we're not separate from the cosmos. That's the beauty of shamanic spirituality for me it reminds me constantly that i am not alone that i am intricately and intrinsically woven into everything every other being that i see with my eyes as alive every other being that i know is alive that somebody else might think is an inanimate object the forces of nature the stones down by the river the the cycles of the weather and everything that exists beyond our planet, because nothing is separate in all that is. By the very words, all that is, it means it's everything. So even our planet doesn't live in a vacuum. You know, at least on an energetic and spiritual level, it too is held by the sun and the sun's community. And the sun, our closest star, is held within the Milky Way community, and the Milky Way community is held within the larger uh, region of space that we are in, and so forth. So there is no way that anything is separate, and so why wouldn't we share something with the cosmos? I wanted to ask you about this word, S-E-I-O-R, and how do you pronounce that? It's a funny-looking D. It's called Sather. And Sather is, is a, you can think of that as the Norse shamanism, and it was particularly strong in terms of um, bringing forth prophecy and using the oracular traditions. And in Viking times, women that practiced Sather, and men practiced it too, but it was primarily a female profession. The men that practiced it were actually quite brave to do so. So the women that practiced it um, did not have to have a husband. In fact, they were not identified by either their father's name or their or a husband's name. And back then, in the Viking time, women could choose to marry or not and could choose to divorce or not. They were in charge of who they married. So they, they were fierce in their own way, you know. They didn't go ha- beat swords on shields like the boys, but they were fierce in their own way. So uh, they could travel through the landscape, and they were revered. There are um, a whole series of burials that they have found across Scandinavia of 
these high status burials of women that are very much like those shaman graves from 28,000 years ago and, and forward. They are buried with a great deal of ceremony. They are buried with all the belongings that they would need for the afterlife. And they have um, magical staves with them. They have uh, Spinning is very important in uh, Sather, and it has been uh, an important... Since we learned to spin to make thread and yarn, women have done that practice and also done it magically. They understood that they could, first of all, alter consciousness because it's a repetitive activity, and so that they could put put intention into whatever they spun. And they would often sing while they spun. And so there's an understanding of somehow magic uh, is spun, like reality is spun and woven. Our physical existence is spun and woven. So these practitioners were buried with um, iron versions of a distaff. And a distaff is something that you have the, the fiber on that you are going to spin into thread or yarn. And, of course, you wouldn't use an iron one if you were actually spinning fiber. It would be unwieldy and ridiculous. But it, as a, as a um, object that shows your uh, role in society, it makes complete sense. And oftentimes they had jingles on them so that they would help to accompany the the uh, visionary state of being that the practitioners would go into to prophesy. You know what comes and, to mind, what comes to mind, Evelyn, is a is a is a uh, phrase that I I've used quite often. It's called spin and walk away, spin mm-hmm. and walk away. Yeah. And so they'd travel, and how they. Uh, altered consciousness was through the sound of singing. They, uh, it's postulated that the songs that were sung were spiritual versions of the kind of songs, the sing-songy kind of uh, songs that you would use during a repetitive task like spinning or weaving. When women together would be spinning or weaving cloth, they'd, they'd sing to make the, the work light, as you see in, in lots of different cultures. And so the songs for uh, unwinding from this reality into the other reality, and then while in that other state of awareness, spinning a new possibility to bring it back, they would use the sounds of those repetitive songs with magical words, or perhaps vocables, we're not sure, to help them alter consciousness. So there would often be a women's chorus singing for this woman who was changing her uh, awareness, going on a shamanic journey, basically, to work her, do her shamanic work, whether it be for healing, whether getting information, doing a journey like like any shaman from any other culture. So that section of the book is really broken down with step-by-step guidance on how to use those same methods to accomplish your own shamanic work. And it was my intention to, again, show that thread throughout the whole book of our ability as women to claim our power, that we have deep roots of our power, and that it it has gotten subjugated by 
patriarchy. And patriarchy is only about 6,000 years old, and it's probably been its worst for the last 2,500 years, 3,000 years. So we have a far deeper root than we have experienced subjugation. And it's time for us to bring that back because I think female power is connected to the health of the earth. You know, a culture, a culture that degradates women and children also degradates, degradates nature. Yeah. And so as we bring that power back, and, and I believe that feminine power is also important for men to claim as well, that they have their own ability to be in deep connection. Because it, one way to describe our culture is how incredibly disconnected it is. It's disconnected from self, from others, from nature. And it's only when you're that disconnected that you can do terrible things to other people and to nature. Right. It's only when you see something or someone as an other and not an aspect of yourself that you can be destructive. Good and so point. as we as we trace that back and and reclaim ourselves, reclaim ourselves as as human beings that have all of this richness that it's no accident that the things that were broken in the that past time of climate change are going to need to be present for us to make it through this next phase and to maybe change our ways to mediate how bad climate change has to be. So I felt a kind of urgency and this kind of coming together of all this information that just seemed to click together in a way that made sense. I wanted to ask you about a chapter that you devoted to the North European Wilderness Quest. And what did you call it? The O-O-T-I-S-E-T-A-H? How do you pronounce it? Yeah, it's... uh, uh, it's Utaseta, just how you would sa- sound sitting out, basically, Utaseta. And um, it's, a, it's a simple way to simply be outdoors, and that in itself is a kind of hierarch- a, a, a heretical thing today. Everybody sits inside. You know, little kids don't want to go out because the outlets for their devices are all inside. And, you know, we have things like nature deficit disorder that kids are experiences because <laughs> they don't play outside anymore. People don't <laughs> spend time outside. And so it's a way to intentionally be outside working with your ancestors, working with the sounds that you hear in nature and relearning how to sing with nature outside. Sometimes it can just be murmuring, but you're singing and listening and being in nature to receive the guidance and insight and healing and connection with the spirits of nature. And, you know, every culture has an understanding of not just the spirits of the birds and the plants and the trees and the animals, but those certain spirits that sort of fall between the worlds. You know, in Ireland, they'd call them leprechauns and uh, in um, Iceland, they call them the hidden folk. In the the North countries, they'd be the Nissa and some of the other different kinds of characters that live in rivers or uh, trolls up in the mountains. 
we all have this understanding of the green man. You think of the green man and the green woman or fairies. There are these beings that sort of stand between the doorway between the visible and invisible worlds, and they are part of what in spirit's nature. And when we spend time alone out in the woods or by the shore, away from the human world and more plugged into nature, we start to feel them and see them and experience them. And through journeying and meditation and just being quiet, begin to reconnect with them. And something incredible happens. First of all, we get the richness that we experience of feeling those connections. But something changes inside of us. We become a little less domesticated. Domestication can be um, deadening. You know, you think about the difference between your poodle and a wolf. A poodle is a lovely animal, but it's not a wolf. And I think as human beings spend more time in nature, we recognize that it's our original home, and some of the veneer of our domestication falls away, and we begin to smell the wind a little differently. We start to have sharper eyes for the textures in nature and the movement of birds and animals. And we feel the energy of the earth coming up through our feet or through our, up through our spine if we're sitting on the earth. We have this beneath consciousness sense of connectedness that we begin to feel as though we're a part of it again. And it heightens our senses, senses it heightens our capacity to feel very deeply and it it takes that deadening that domestication has on us away not so much that we can no longer function in society but that we change so that when we come back to society the more of us that do this we change society our society is a reflection of all the individuals in it and when we are changed, we begin to change the culture around us. You know, in listening to the Starseed News in the beginning of this broadcast, I was struck by two things. One is that we can't cover up, the, we can't bury things under a rug anymore. Nature's not letting us do it, and the energies on the planet are not letting us do it. The stuff that is the most toxic and the most um, desiring to hide is coming out in the open. And at the same time, people are starting to change and go, hey, wait a minute, we don't like that. We're going to change that. So it's this upwelling is already beginning. And when we use all the tools that are, are uh, at our hands, to accelerate our own processes so that we connect more readily, that we assume our place as powerful beings, that we raise our consciousness in that process where we recognize our power is only as good as how we use it on behalf of all that is. Not just for ourselves, not to accumulate wealth or to make ourselves somehow above everyone else, or above every other species, but instead using the magnificent gifts that are available to us 
for the good of everything and everyone. And I feel that as people are stepping back into relationship, my one of my previous books, uh, the um, the one with the title Spirit Walking, A Course in Shamanic Power, I talk about reverent participatory relationship. As we step back into a kind of reverence for all life and be willing to step up and participate in life, that we can really change our trajectory into something that is life-preserving instead of life-denying. I love that. Yeah, I I have a saying, there's only two energies, up spiral and down spiral. There's alive and living, and then there's death and dying. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I've always just... You know, it gets so complicated sometimes out in the world. You want to put labels on things and the reason for this and the reason for that. But I always go back to two energy moves. There's alive and living, and there's death and dying. And yep, that's what yep. I always come back to. And I, and I give up all the labels. <laughs> I have to. Well, really, it's like what escalator are you on, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Evelyn, I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. I'd like to uh, pass you over to my co-host, Arielle. She has the switchboard. Would you be willing to talk to some people that may want to call in and talk to you? Oh, oh, certainly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has just been wonderful, and I am going to finish reading your book. And you have really lit my fire, let me tell you. So I I hope to be talking to you again. And when you come out with anything that you want to talk to us about, and if you have a retreat or something you want to announce, just let us know, and we'd be happy to have you back on our show. Oh, that's marvelous. Thank you so much. Okay, so back to you, Arielle. Okay, well, I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to you, Evelyn. You're very well-spoken, and I can feel the passion in um, the, your subject matter. And I, I think it's really opening up a lot of eyes, so I certainly hope that your book is um, picked up by all of our listeners and that would be um, available on your website, which is Evelyn Rysdyke, E-V-E-L-Y-N, and Rysdyke is R-Y-S-D-Y-K dot com. And at this time, if you are already on our switchboard and you have a comment or question for Evelyn, you'll need to press 1 on your keypad so that uh, we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on your computer then you'll need to pick up the phone and dial into the switchboard, and that number is 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. And um, that process may take a few minutes here. So um, I, I just, I'm just fascinated by some of the, the correlations that, that you've done it because you've taken um, data from archaeolog- archaeological digs, Stories from elders, um, you know, traditions and and legends and and tied it all in so beautifully, so that it really paints a, a lovely tapestry. Well, that was kind of weird. I don't. Did, did you hear that? It sounded like somebody yes, else was talking. Like somebody. But yeah. Well, hey, you know, Mercury's retrograde, and. Um, you know, your computer, your car, anything electrical, mechanical, uh, communications between people, they can just get a little scrambled. But 
thankfully um, it's over in about nine days. <laughs> uh, you know, I always I always think of Mercury retrograde times as times for us to take a breath and be extra intentional. To really be as intentional as you possibly can, it's like a reminder from the cosmos for us to pay attention to the details, slow down, dot the I's, cross the T's, and be intentional as you can with your communications, too. I mean, we tend to do everything kind of on the fly in our culture. And when there's any kind of disruptive energy, it makes things go off the rails. So Uh Uh I always think of these, these times are great opportunities to just be more intentional and almost like a spiritual practice to just slow down and go, okay, I'm going to be as intentional I can and not to freak out if something gets disrupted, but to just use that as an opportunity to play with my own ability to be intentional. And, you know, outside of paperwork getting lost in the mail or something like that, it works out pretty well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is. It's certainly a time when you have to make sure, like you said, if you just blurt some words out, you've got to make sure that they really express what you really meant because people will misunderstand especially with mercury retrograde you know i mean from yeah i mean even when i'm doing emails you know because i do a lot of correspondence um i go back and read i I proofread everything just to make sure that that there's no um misinterpretations like oh yeah i i shouldn't assume that they'll just know that (laughs) you know right 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 yeah um, very um, correct in my in in what I'm telling people, especially um, you know working with large groups of people, you have to be really clear. I guess that's what it's about clarity. It's clarity about clarity of intent. And, and, and also yeah. having some compassion for ourselves. You know, we we sometimes can get so harried that we we lose touch with being able to be clear. And so it's, you know, it's a nice little cosmic reminder when Mercury decides to do his little backwards dance that uh, it's like, okay, heads up, pay attention. It's it's time to pay deep attention. Right. And it's also a good time for contemplation, for Mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, what you you intend for, you know, when the energy turns uh, direct again. Uh, so there is there is a benefits. It's really good for spiritual endeavors because it's just kind of time out from the mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from the forward motion. It's it's kind of a breather, which yep. is great. But you know, I just love what you said about fire and how it it flickers at the same pulse as um, a, a, a certain brain wave. What yeah, did you it's call your the, high alpha and theta wave state, but it's basically your visionary state of awareness. It's the state that you go in when you're able to do a shamanic journey, and the fire flickers that way. So we're hardwired for visionary experiences. You know, if you think our species is, what, 2 million years old, something like that, so you think about how many of those years, even if you say half of them, I'm not sure how long ago we actually were able to work with fire off the top of my head, but so all of those nights around the fire, we clearly developed a facility to step into that visionary way of being 
because it's a natural part of us anyway. I mean, it happens spontaneously. You know, you have these epiphanies, these visions. Some, sometimes they happen in dreams also, and they're all visionary states of being. But to be able to go into that and back again had to have been, you know, programmed right into our brains from sitting in front of fires. You know, we are changed oh, yeah. by our environment as much as our, we have changed our environment, unfortunately. We are also changed by our environment. Yeah, one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. You know, it can and, yeah and, it can benefit or not. Well, I think it's definitely contributed to our evolution. It's you know, the evolution. The evolution of our yeah yeah the evolution <laughs> of our minds as well as our bodies I think have evolved in concert with nature. Well, we have to because as you said, there we're not separate. So exactly. yeah, anybody that thinks that they can just go their own way and let the planet do something else, <laughs> it's like, there's a definite dead end there. Yes, there is. Yeah. Yes, there is. Yeah. You know, and I love the point that you make about about the feminine because there are so many star seeds with missions um, in that realm, exactly um, rebirthing the feminine, bringing the balance back, um, and getting more to unity consciousness. So, I mean, that is just a, a huge um, point that you made that I totally agree with. And to also, so, in that process, to lose the, um, you know, go back to the the real fundamentals of traditions. I'm thinking of all the conflict right now between all the the uh, Abrahamic religions. You know, we've got Christianity and Judaism and Islam, and basically all of those traditions are consider themselves descendants of Abraham or Abrahim, and yet. For cousins, man, they don't get along very well at all. <laughs> you know, and when we take away the dogma in all the traditions around the world and recognize that, you know, just don't do anything to anybody else that you wouldn't want done to you, and live in harmony as best you can, that's pretty simple rules, and we could all do that. And part of this time, I think, is for us to let go of our tribal behavior. You know, that us and them, like, is white folks and red folks and yellow folks and, you know, come on, folks. We're all the same. <laughs> We're all That's related. Right. That's right. And, you know, we are moving to that unity, um, and that's, you know, part of this big shift that's going on. And and the earth is, in, is kind of in the lead with that because the earth is going to um, rise up in frequency whether we come along or not. So, oh, she's you know. she's lighting a fire under us for sure, literally yeah. and figuratively, yeah. and and I think oh, that's like. part of why part of why it's so hard to keep the the underhanded things uh, under the rug, because it's like she's turned. You know, if you ever made a soup, when the the soup is cold on the stove, you can't see what's in it, but when you turn up the heat, then the carrots pop to the top and the potatoes mm-hmm. and stuff as the soup starts to boil. So the earth has turned up the heat under us. And so all this stuff is becoming visible, and it's becoming—it's disturbing to see, but it's becoming visible so we can see it and fix it. Well, that's right. You know, we have to—you have to purge the toxins 
Uh, just like you know, if you want a healthy body, you got to purge those toxins, and and it's that that can be a metaphor for a lot of things that are that is going on. That it it might, like you said, it, it's not it's not pretty, but you know, sometimes that stuff's got to come out before the healing and the and the true, um, you know, shifting and ascending can occur. It's kind of like we have uh, uh, cultural boils. You know, and if you know, we have to put the hot compress on until finally it comes up to the surface and erupts, and that's kind of what we're experiencing. You see, rampant xenophobia and homophobia and racism and just all this stuff that's very ugly, but it's up to be healed. It's up. It's no longer smoldering under the surface. It's up where we can see it and look at it face to face and go whoa, that's something that's completely out of balance. It's life-denying, and we have to find a way to break through to that next level of consciousness where we don't behave that way. And I think that's happening. You know, we kind of see two energies on the planet right now, those that are growing and, and expanding and the ones that are contracting into things like fundamentalism. And those two energies are completely incompatible and I, I can feel that the ones that are expanding are growing in number because I no matter where I go when I teach I always find these people that are waking up that are excited to be here that are doing work for their local communities for the little pockets of uh, parkland in cities or creating um, we have I live up in Maine and there's a lot of push by young people to go back to farming and they're doing organic farming and so there's this real energy building you know everywhere I go you have yes you have the stuff that you see on the news and you have the ugly the ugly behavior but you see far more people that are moving toward living in a in a way that's much more in harmony, saying, no, we will not destroy the earth, we are going to change our behavior, and doing it not in a in a strident way, but in a powerful, grounded, and joyful way. And that gives me a tremendous amount of hope. Oh, I agree. And, you know, the... <clears throat> the work that Lavendar had had done for you know, 25 or 30 years was pointed at was for the the kids that were born after 1980, mm-hmm. and and she held that she held that information all this time, um, and now these you know these kids are you know they're 25 35 years old, and and they are a new breed a new root race they've got you know. ET DNA and they've got ET guidance and they are really waking up um, in multitudes and saying no you know we're not going to do it like like it's been done we're going to do it a different way and a better way and they really we're really um, gladdened to see this this move in consciousness and we when I mean, we have a a, a slice of of uh, of the cross section of the world because we've got people from all over really mm-hmm. and we see the same mm-hmm. patterns and it's very um 
um, heartening, if that's a word, um, to see it happening. And it is happening. It will happen. It it can't do anything else but because the earth is, like you said, <laughs> she's going. And, and, and we're going to either go with her or um, go into some other reality. Right. By so, right, she, um, had, she should shake us off like fleas if she had any sense at all, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I think the, the mark of a really good guest is when you've covered your material so well that no one has any questions. So it doesn't look like we're going to have any callers with questions. So I just want to, um, before I wrap up, um, tell people once again that you do um, face-to-face training and, and teaching and workshops. And are those things um, ongoing? They are. We we have a full schedule of uh all different kinds of programs, and you can find that. You can go through the portal of uh, EvelynRiseDyke.com, and there's a place on the right that will take you to our workshop uh, uh, programs, uh, that that site, which is Spirit Passages. That's our workshop and teaching and healing part of our practice. And, uh, it, you know, I, we just love working with people. It, that face-to-face kind of work. It's great also to be able to speak to people on the radio and online through Skype and through webinars, but there's something really powerful about even a few people sitting together and seeing each other face-to-face, looking each other in the eye, and sharing wisdom as we have done as human beings for many, many millennia. And I I think along the lines of the excitement you were talking about, I think our human ancestors are encouraging us too. They see the road ahead of us, you know, and they they are, I think of legions of these beings that have moved into the light who have become pure love at our back. And it's like they ran the relay race before us and they've passed us the baton and they're cheering us to run the best leg of the race that we possibly can. And to do it together. Well, that is so well said. And thank you for that. So I encourage everyone to check out the website, um, workshops if you're interested, um, Evelyn's books. And it's just been a delight to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, when you have something that you want to announce or, or promote, workshops or traveling engagements, um, new books, please let us know and we'd be happy to have you back on. Well, I'd be light, delighted to do that. This was wonderful. Great, and thanks thanks again for stepping in. Um, like just doors open and boom, you're here. Good job. <laughs> in spite of Mercury, you see? <laughs> in spite of Mercury retrograde, that's right. So, Evelyn, thank you so much for sharing your time, your knowledge, and your passion with our audience. And I want to thank everybody that listened as well. And they will continue to listen throughout the week because a lot of people listen, um, you know, after the fact, um, um, downloading. and. Um, oh, certainly. Yeah, so this will be ongoing, um, available in about an hour if you missed the show. Um, it will be online. And once again, thank you so much from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy. And blessings to all of you. Thank you so much. And with that, we are go- you're welcome. We are going to say goodnight for now. We'll be back next week. And until we meet again, remember, count your blessings every day and live in grace. Good night. Good night.
You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 